There are thousands and thousands of companies in Australia. Big corporate behemoths with offices all over the world, right through to living room enterprises where you store all your stock under the dining room table. But the most commercially successful of those companies are called the ASX 200. They employ huge numbers of staff, service even more customers, and they make a whole bunch of shareholders very, very wealthy. And just 11 of those 200 companies are run by a woman. Over 40 of those companies don't even have a single woman in their executive leadership team, and only a quarter of board members are women. There are more CEOs named Andrew amongst the top corporates than there are women. It's high time that changed. And today we're going to meet and chat with some of the women who are making that change happen. Yep, we're wading into the controversial waters of quotas, targets and KPIs in this episode of the Future Women podcast. I'm Jamila Rizvi and this episode is Step Aside Please Andrew, We're Coming Through. I think it's improving greatly at the moment. Um, I went to Women in Property um, luncheon last week and there was a lot of focus on um, women, um, you know, being promoted in what used to be predominantly a man's kind of industry. Um, so I definitely think that we're on, on the way up. I'm 14 and when I grow up, I want to be a lawyer. And I hope that when I reach the stage where like, I can be a lawyer, that there'll be equality in the workplace. So if I want to take a case that's really high and stuff, it won't just be allocated to like a man just because he's a man. Like, they actually look at your work. We do want to strive for more women in leadership positions, but they do need to be the right people and not just employing people for for the sake of it. The structure could probably change in the corporate world. Yeah, I think that it would be more fair to see a system where women get the benefit of a higher position. Getting more women onto boards has been on the political agenda for some time now. The discussion begins with boards because it's easier to talk about changing women's representation in a group of positions than it is when you're talking about just one. So we're talking about boards not because we expect you to be on one, although hats off if you are, sister, or even to aspire to be on one, but because boards make a really great case study. The idea of having voluntary gender targets went mainstream in Australia almost a decade ago. Realising that more diverse decision-making groups actually meant better decision-making and even higher profits, companies began to take the issue more seriously. The more diverse opinions you have around the table, the better the decision that you make, which makes sense because you've got people with different life experiences adding their views to the subject that is being discussed at the time. Uh, and it means that you get that depth of experience. If you have a whole lot of uh, people from the same background, let's just say they're white men named Andrew, then you're very likely to get that opinion replicated five or six times over, which means you'll get to a consensus quickly, but you'll miss a whole lot of the uh, richness of the um, discussion that you ought to have. And it means that you won't have a good decision at the end of it. You'll have a bit of a decision, but you won't have the full breadth of the decision. Liberty Sanger is Chair of Diversity and Inclusion at law firm Morris Blackburn. Her experience is that when everyone in a room looks and sounds the same, groupthink tends to take over. I've been on boards where I've been either the only woman or one of very few women, and a lot of the cues have been quite exclusionary. So you walk into the room and the conversation will start 
casually about topics that you're not a part of. In my case, it's football. I know many women know about football. That is not one of my strong uh, points. But that would, would continue on for some time until the meeting started. And then the meeting itself would have a particular pattern, which would mean I'd have to fight for airspace. Uh, I experienced many of the things that you hear women talking about where their views are not heard. It's, it appears to be restated by someone else, a man, uh, and then applauded. I have found when you've got a, a mix of people around the room, women, men, people from different backgrounds, uh, there is much a much greater consciousness of, of listening, of hearing, of including uh, the topics that are discussed before, during and after the meeting tend to uh, be conversations that everyone is a part of. And consequently, you get the best of everybody. And I think one of the things that's often missed is that the more you um, send a signal that only one version of a person has a place around a table, the less you get of all the other people. Because to try and fit in, what we see is people diminishing themselves and not bringing their whole selves to the table. You know, they try to reduce their points of difference because they just want to be seen to be there for their expertise rather than having to confront all the other aspects of their uh, person that are not accepted by the dominant group. Uh, you get a much, much better uh, flow of information, a much better decision if you uh, foster an environment where everyone can bring their whole self to the table. Having more women on boards and in senior leadership positions isn't just a nice thing to do. It also makes good business sense. McKinsey Research has found that companies with more gender diversity in executive ranks are more likely to post above average profits than the less diverse. Claire Braund from Women on Boards says it's because women bring something different to being in an organisation. They bring a different set of lived experience. Many years ago, when Women on Boards started, one of the very first people who came to us um, was the a rugby league club in Sydney. And they had a very forward-looking CEO and they didn't have any women on the board. And it was, it was you know, a local tribal club. Um, but they had a lot of money and they were looking after a, a, a sports club as well so that had gambling facilities. And women on boards found two women for this rugby league club. And what they did was, is when they had their first meeting... Um, one of the Women on Board's members who was there, she recounted to us how astounded she was that the first item on the agenda was, in fact, the refereeing decision for the following weekend. And there was quite a long discussion about, uh, well, you know, should we write a letter to the referee? And yes, of course we will. And what will we say in that? She sat there for a few moments and she sort of leant forward and she said... Um, is this what you normally do? And they sort of looked around at her and they said, well, yes. She said, well, is that what you think the role of the board is? And people looked at her sort of astounded. And she said, because I'm here to tell you that that's not something that a board should be doing, which was for all of the men on that board who were absolutely invested. They just were so incensed that this decision they felt had, had been made poorly that they actually were so involved in the function and the operation of how the club ran that they couldn't really get above it and think from a strategic viewpoint. Now, the reality is, is that she happened to be a banker, that a male banker might have also done that. But because she was a female, because she was slightly older, because she came from an international banking perspective, there was a whole lot of kind of sit up and we'd better kind of take sort of notice. Perhaps that's why in 2015, the Corporate Governance Council of the ASX and the AICD 
both called on companies to set gender targets of their own, to pick a number, to say it out loud, and to commit to working towards it. And since then, groups like Male Champions of Change and Chief Executive Women were formed in order to move things along. Australia has the best gender data set in the world. Thank you to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, which I will give a big plug for because we do. We actually have the best data. We have the most reliable data. We have the most uniform data because every company with more than 100 employees is required to report on a gender data level. How are we going within companies in addressing the issue? I think it's hit and miss. And I, and I think it's like that everywhere. Um, I think... You know, some companies in, in England are doing a better job than some companies here. Uh, some companies here are doing a better job than some companies in um, Scotland or in sort of America or sort of somewhere like that. Generally, in the Western world, though, there is an awareness and understanding that things have changed, and that things have to continue to change. Um, interestingly, Nigeria and some of the African nations have a very high percentage of females in management roles and on boards. And in fact, it's Rwanda that almost leads the world. But when you think about what they've been through and what their experience is and who they need to actually rebuild and salvage and grow that country, um, obviously you're going to have to use all of your talent and obviously your females are actually going to be there, you know, ready and sort of willing. And I suspect you might have lost a whole lot of men too. So uh, um, quite often very disastrous circumstances can actually change things. We've seen some considerable improvement, but not considerable enough. Many companies have never bothered setting a target for women's representation or they've set that target privately, or they set the bar so, so very low, you could barely trip over it. We're now seeing other strategies adopted. Some companies now make a better gender mix amongst their management team, part of their senior group's KPIs. And yes, progress is being made. But without going further, the World Economic Forum thinks advanced countries like Australia won't see gender parity for another 100 years at least. 100 years. And that's where quotas come in. Quotas are a more forceful way of achieving gender equality. A quota doesn't just encourage, but actually requires companies to appoint and hire women. So if a company sets a quota for, let's say, 30% women on its board, then a minimum number of women must be appointed. People fall victim to recruiting versions of themselves because they think they're doing a pretty awesome job. Um, when you've got a quota or a, or a strategy, a target in place, that really compels you to look harder, try harder. What you will almost certainly find is that there's a whole lot of untapped talent out there that you hadn't previously uh, been accessing because of those blinkers. So it's a huge opportunity for those organisations that get on board and have a proper strategy around how they recruit. Um, everyone would be aware that good practice when it comes to uh, the skills that you want on your board is to have a diversity of skills, and one of those skills should be the background that you come from. It's important to remember that quotas aren't just used for improving gender representation. American universities use quotas to ensure better and fairer racial representation amongst their student populations. Another example is that quotas have been part of the parliamentary system for hundreds of years. The Australian Parliament, for example, elects 12 senators from Tasmania and 12 from New South Wales, despite the fact that Tasmania's population is far, far smaller. 
that's effectively a formal quota to ensure the smaller states are fairly represented. Now, there's broad agreement that diversity is a good thing, but when it comes to quotas and targets, not everyone is a fan. This is Group Managing Director for Coca-Cola Amatil, Alison Watkins. From having worked across a number of different companies and, and understanding board succession and how that works, I think it's by far better to have each company set targets that make sense for itself, its context, its succession planning, um, and you know, to strive to achieve those targets. I still feel that it would be a failure on the corporate sector if we end up with government-imposed quotas, because I do think that is a very blunt instrument, and there'll be some organisations who probably should be striving for a greater than that, that mandatorily opposed target, and there'll be others who may need a little bit more time. And here's Australian businessman Jerry Harvey speaking to the ABC. Well, a number of boards that I talk to are putting women on um, to help fill the target, to make the board um, look better or something, I don't know, but they do know that where they, they don't come out and say it, but they... If they talk to me, they say, oh, well, you know, it looks better if I put a woman on. Um, but realistically, I probably would have rather had a, a male. Whenever you're dealing with issues of minorities, it's often talked about that maybe quotas are the way to get that. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think any minority that gets to a position of power or gets added to a board or gets added to a group of people because of a quota doesn't want to be there. You don't want to be there because of a quota. You want to be there because you earned the right to get there. And that's Callahan Erdas, who's a top JP Morgan executive, speaking to CSNBC. And I get that. I can relate to wanting to earn your own success. That's something we all want, right? To be proud of our achievements, to know that we got to where we are because we earned it. But here's the problem with this merit argument. It assumes that boards are appointed on merit now. It assumes that quotas are going to come along and mess up this previously meritorious system where only the very best ever get the gig. But the current system isn't meritorious. If it were, then we'd have to accept that only 25% of women have enough merit to be on a board, that only 30% of women have enough merit to be elected to parliament that less than 10% of women have enough merit to run an ASX 200 company, and that men called Andrew have more merit collectively than our entire gender. And I, I don't know if I buy that. Do you? Elizabeth Corley is the CEO of Alliance Global Investors, and she's someone who has previously opened her mind to the idea of quotas – but she also has some reservations. If I'm honest, I think quotas are a last resort. They're a very heavy stick. And it's much better that companies engage in targets and proactive policies. The downsides of quotas are so significant. It's far better to focus on constructive, proactive strategies instead. I think there can be unintended consequences of quotas because the problem is you select one particular population within a workplace and inevitably for that population they may not appreciate it but also for everybody not selected there can be a reaction which is quite negative. So you get people appointed into a position and the question is always did they get there because of a quota or on their own merits and that's a bit of a burden for anybody to deal with. Backlash. It's something we've experienced in the Me Too movement 
and it will definitely be something we'll see happen to women who are the beneficiaries of targets and quotas. In fact, it's probably happening already. The magnifying glass on women who move up the ranks under this system is going to be intense. And if they trip and fall, the way men have for millennia, the criticism is going to be all about gender. The recent Royal Commission into the banks saw a slew of high-profile resignations from the AMP board. As if things could get any worse for insurance giant the AMP. Today it was looking at potentially two class actions over claims shareholders have been misled, deceived and not informed in a timely manner. First, the chairman, Catherine Brenner, resigned. This was seen as inevitable given the commission found AMP had misled the corporate regulator a very serious offence. But then came the resignation of three more board members, Holly Kramer, Vanessa Wallace and Patty Akiapants, who has said she'll also resign at the end of the year. Do you notice anything about those three names? That's right, they're all women. And it sparked a conversation about the quality of women who are promoted when targets or quotas are in place. Are they up to the job? Did the pressure to get more women onto corporate boards lead AMP to appoint women who weren't properly qualified? And is this the case for other company boards in Australia? Would AMP have gotten itself into so much trouble if its board had just been, like so many others, dominated by men. I think the coverage was very unfortunate because I think it made what was not a gender issue at all, it turned it into a gender issue. Um, Whoever was the chair of AMP was going to have to step down. It could have been a former president of the United States and I think they would have had to step down too. Sadly, the next two people up for election happened to be the females. I think whoever was up for election There was a lot of pressure from the institutional investors, from the customers, um, from the kind of financial services sector in general to say, really, you need to step down because this behaviour is just not conscionable. It has been inappropriate and someone needs to take that level of responsibility. I was appalled that that conversation got any traction at all. Uh, We've seen all sorts of crises uh, over the last 20 or 30 years in uh, the corporate world and uh, never have we seen them um, be uh, uh, discussed as though they were relevant to a male gender. I mean, let's just look at the GFC, for example. Uh, I, I have heard it joked that if the Lehman brothers had been the Lehman sisters, perhaps it never would have happened, and uh, evidence would suggest that that would be right. Even our former Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, wasn't impressed with the media reaction to AMP. Here she is at the Sydney Writers' Festival. It's a curious analysis, isn't it? Those banks were just hunky-dory until like, uh, that one, one woman gets there and, oh, heavens. Um. <laughs> the Australian Institute of Company Directors says that quotas are off the table for now. They haven't been ruled out as an option for further down the track if companies don't find other ways to improve the number of women on boards. So what else can we do to ensure that companies make the next step in having more diverse leadership 
generally. All of the organisations that have done incredibly well in terms of gender balance and in terms of balance at that top level within their um, executive ranks have set targets and they've set targets with teeth and they've set targets that are measurable, that people are measured against, that are tied to people's KPIs where people are rewarded or people are penalised for not achieving targets. So given that we have targets for everything else, targets for gender balance or general diversity within your organisation are absolutely reasonable because it forces people to, again, turn off the spotlight and turn on the floodlight and go looking in areas where they might not have actually found people. The big thing that some of the banks achieved early on and organisations like Telstra too really was um, having them within business units. So you've got to have individual business unit heads take responsibility for them. You can't have overall targets. So you can't have all the heavy lifting be done by investment and then you know the IT department kind of quietly lagging. And you've got to have them in a meaningful way. If only 20% of people graduating of engineers who graduate are female, and of course many of, of our universities and of our major companies are doing a great job to try and increase the number of female in engineering students, then you can't have targets that say you want 80% of all of your graduate engineers to be female. Well you can, but it really means you're going to be hoovering up most of the engineers, which of course is what IBM did. But the targets have to be realistic. The financial services sector really led this, so they've all had a diversity um, and inclusion department. It's sometimes sat within HR, sometimes it sits within organisational development. The ones that have been really effective is when it's actually sat within the orbit of the CEO. And all of it really depends on how much buy-in and how much cachet the person leading that has got with the active CEO. So if you're a woman who is in middle management, or even if you're just starting out, what does this mean for you? Well, firstly, isn't it awesome that there are women like Claire and Liberty out there fighting the good fight to make it easier for those who come after them? Here are some other things for you to consider. Stick your hand up for a board position. It doesn't have to be an enormous, fancy corporate board. It might be the board of a community group or a local charity or a small business. But have a go. Don't assume that's the kind of job for someone who is not you. If you're working in a business where there aren't enough women at the top, then ask why. Perhaps don't bowl into the CEO's office tomorrow, but talk to your bosses. Talk to them about strategies to advance women. Form a women's equality working group. Get active and work together. And if you're a woman at the top, then use your power for good. Use it to help another sister up, to talk to your contemporaries about quotas or targets or KPIs or any other strategy to improve the number of women moving up through the ranks of your organisation. And finally, please be warned that if you're the beneficiary of a quota or a target, that you might experience some backlash. That backlash? It's not about you. It's not about you and your skills. It's a backlash against a system. You're not to blame. I think intolerance feeds misogyny. I think generally intolerant behaviour um, has come about probably in the last 20, 30 years quite strongly. I think pressure that's come onto people living in, in corporate life has led some behaviours to be seen as misogynist as opposed to um, inclusive, which is how they could be seen. I think the failure of 
people within leadership roles to call things out has also been a problem. And I also think our hierarchical leadership model, which is a very, very old way of thinking about leadership, has also fed this. If you move to a more collective style of leadership where people share and step in and out of leadership depending on the traits that they bring to a particular project or particular organisation, then you, under a distributed leadership model, I think you are less likely to get things like misogyny playing out because you haven't got that single hierarchy. Liberty Sanger is still on the quota bandwagon. She says she doesn't care what others might think of her or whether there are some titters or unease about merit. And she has some really good advice for women who've benefited from quotas. For my part, I'm over any personal concern about how people perceive I got to where I got to. Uh, I can't decide how their brains work. Uh, but what I can do is make sure that when I get there that I know I'm doing a good job, I read my papers, I've undertaken the relevant training, I'm on tr- across my brief. Um, I do sense even amongst some women some un- unease about the idea that they may have got there anyway other than through their own merit. Uh, what I say to those women is just don't worry about that and remember what Joan Kerner said to me, which is that quotas allow merit to get to the top. So what she meant by that is that you've got to acknowledge there's structural discrimination that has been operating to prevent uh, merit-based appointments from occurring. What a quota does is it clears the path to make sure that that is not an issue to merit getting to the top. Uh, You're not going to see people who are not qualified being appointed, uh, but what you are going to see is that richness of diversity that we have available at the decision-making table And dare I say it, making those companies that are smart enough to move first a whole lot of money. Uh, All the research would show that those companies that get not only gender diversity right, but cultural diversity right, are more profitable, as well as being um, companies that have higher engagement scores and are generally the sought-after companies that people want to work at. This is Future Women. I've been your host, Jamila Rizvi, and I really look forward to chatting again next week when we'll be talking the gender equality questions around office housework. If you want to learn more, then you can head to our website, www.futurewomen.com, where you can sign up for a membership for only $7 a month. If you want to discuss some of these issues further with me and other like-minded women, you can also head to the Future Women forums. For more great podcasts, you can stream us online, on iTunes, or on any other podcast app that takes your fancy. Please take the time to rate and review us. It helps other people to find the podcast. Plus, it just makes us feel good when we get five stars.